Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. Welcome, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners. It's Navigate with I.D. It's such a privilege and an honor to share with you today. Friends, as we look at a very critical aspect of our leadership journey, and we're talking about leadership transitions, well, the personal transition or professional transitions and how they make or mar your leadership. We have gone through a whole gamut of conversations, but today I want to deal specifically with the reality of struggle. And you wonder, what does that mean? Yes, there's the reality. Most people struggle with their first leadership position. The struggle, whether you like it or not, just cast your mind back. You realize that that first time you were given an opportunity to lead, to provide leadership to not just the um, department or to a group of people or having your first person you are supervising or the team you are supervising, whatever position or role it was, just remember your first leadership position. You struggled. As a matter of fact, if you make a seamless transition from being an individual contributor to manager, if you don't have any bad days, doubts or fears about your leadership capacity, you know, we call them having butterflies in your tummy, then you are probably in denial or your organization or company culture prizes self-confidence so much that you find it difficult to acknowledge the challenge of this transition. Transition is real. Everybody must transit. I mean, if you are appointed a minister for the first time, first-time minister, first-time senator, first-time director, first-time chairman, you must go through the reality of that struggle. It is normal. It is called the normality of it. Now, many people cycle out of it, but some never do. Because that period of the transition could be catastrophic. They could make so much errors or mistakes that will dent on, you know who? Themselves. They will impact on their confidence. Why do you think some leaders are not able to rise up to the occasion to do some things differently? It's because of that transition, that struggle. Nobody may notice it. You may not see it because it's in it. It's inside. The manifestation of it comes with goose pimples whenever there is an opportunity for that leader to take the center stage. But you never find it. If you are not very observant, you may not even know that your boss is going through a struggle. But many people use boldface, as we call it, quote-unquote, in Nigerian parlance. They come through with this supposed courage, but trust me, it's just a facade. Very many new leaders experience some difficult moments in the very first year or so being in a new position. And I'm here to share with you some thoughts, friends. I mean, I have cycled this over and over, and I cannot tell you it's over. No. Tomorrow, I could get an appointment. Tomorrow, I could get a role. Tomorrow, I could be put in a role I was never placed before. And I would also go through that struggle. But the difference is that I have been through so many of the struggles that I would have a line in the sand. That's the place of experience. And that's the place someone like me can gracefully, by God's eternal grace, be able to share with you and tell you, this is the way, go ye. So I will want to share some of the tips, I may call them, on how you can effectively deal with these struggles and all you need to do in a very simplistic fashion. Remember I said to you that part of what has inspired this has been the literature put together by David Dulwich, James Noel, and Norman Walker. I've enjoyed the passages that they brought to the table over the years. 
And, you know, I've also enjoyed the benefit of, of applying so many parts of the knowledge I've acquired, not just from reading, from also acting the scripts. The scripts come as a result of life's journey. Life has so much to give to you. Trust me, both good, bad, ugly. But what is important is how you move through it. And whether you like it or not, there's always a first experience. After that experience, it is how you deal with that experience that will determine if you will survive others. If you are one of those that easily would cave in and not even come out again, you may not even have the opportunity and privilege a second time. And when you do, you probably have people take advantage of you. Those are the gaps that make people, a lot of leaders that they call weak, are not necessarily weak, but they lack self-confidence. And so they depend on certain people who, quote-unquote, abuse the privilege. But they don't know. You don't know. But it's at the end of that tenure that you say, this man is weak. But the truth is, that guy never got out of the struggle. He was so in it that he lacked personal confidence. So what are those tips I'm going to give you? The first one is very simple. I need you to understand that you must reflect and talk about the feedback you receive. You know, if you are a blessed man, you will be blessed when you're going through a struggle and you initiate what I call questioning. A simple question like, how am I doing? Will elicit replies feedback from those you are leading and those that are even working with you as peers. But what do we do most times? We come with what we term to be, no, you know, I'm the boss. I cannot show that I'm weak. No. Let me tell you something, friends. There is absolutely nothing wrong in expressing your vulnerability. When a leader shows he is vulnerable, that is a strength because he or she will garner a lot more than the people that those vulnerabilities are being exposed to would even understand. For many people, they don't go through the personal 360 degree feedback. Now, some get it by way of the organization. If you are a senior executive, oh, your company may hire a consultant to come and run 360-degree feedback. And so you'll be asked to appoint or nominate different people who will be served with questionnaires about you, about situations, about your leadership, and they will give their feedback. And all of that will be called, you know, cumulatively uh, put together and shared with you. And then the consultants may come to tell you, oh, in terms of this type of behavior, you are within the 25th percentile of global, you know, they've done it for so many uh, clients or they've had a pool. They will tell you, oh, this particular trait is found among 50% of 4,000 leaders sampled across the world. And you will just say, okay, I'm not alone. It's just to bolster and keep your confidence. But the truth is, you already have something inside you that if you don't deal with, it will deal with you in front. But I want to recommend to you the one you can do yourself. Don't wait for any consultant or company to help you. I do it daily. You know, one of the things I love Apostle Paul for, he said, I die daily. I have, by the grace of God, found a way to excel in my career and my journey because of feedback. I elicit feedback. I don't wait for people to come give me the feedback. What do I do? I approach them. And I will start with very simple questions. How was it? So maybe I've just finished the presentation. The first time I'm climbing the stage to speak to an audience, say 5,000, the first person that I meet is my manager. And I'll say, Esther, how was it? And she knows she needs to give me feedback. And I have my trusted advisors, I will call. How was it? And I'll walk over to the organizers to say, how was it? 
Same question I'm going to ask different classes of people. Now, some will patronize you, and that's why you must be able to discern who you are seeking feedback from. The same way you can do that at work. So you have been put into this role. You are sitting in that role. Definitely you have somebody above you, your line manager or your boss. Definitely you have peers. Those are of the same rank or in the same type of position in other departments. They may be in your department. There are people you can ask questions. How am I doing? How am I faring? What have I done well? What do I need to do differently? And of course, there are people that are reporting to you, which you call subordinates. They are your subordinates or N minus ones. Those ones that are your subordinates also have people reporting to them. So you go a bit lower to your N minus two, as we term it in professional parlance, and you select a few of them to say, How do you think I am faring as your leader? They will tell you the truth. And when they see that you mean it the first time, the second time, and there's no backlash on them, be rest assured they will be open and they will also be learning. That is what a leader can do to be vulnerable. I do it without any single whimper. I have been doing it for years and I still do it. It doesn't take anything from me. But what it gives me is a lot more than you can imagine. Gives me feedback. When I receive it and I reflect on it, then I can talk about it. This 360-degree feedback that I call your own personal, it's your own personal strength. You can do it. Don't wait for your company. Don't wait for your organization to organize it. No, no, no. Do it yourself. You know, in the majority of cases, this feedback challenges your self-perception. You think of yourself as tremendously empathetic and your people are telling you that you are oblivious to their concerns. You may be one type of leader to say, ah, after all, I'm helping them. Yes, now, like I, you know, I went to, um, I think December last year, uh, one of my boys invited me to his leadership summit and I went to speak and I said something to, to them in the course of it that how many of you here actually buy airtime for your staff? Because your driver is there. Some people are so full of themselves because they believe because they are paying the driver a salary or their domestic staff, they should use their own monies to buy airtime that they used to call you when they are in a fiasco. Who bond up? Why? Why should he spend this money? Why can't you invest ahead of demand? That is what tells me that you are empathetic. But in your big eye, I'm already paying him a salary. So he should call me. You tell her, Lagbaja, why didn't you call me when you got to that place? He said, Madam, I had no credit. You begin to rain abuses on him. But without seeing it that you are the most unempathetic leader or manager to be, that you are wicked. You don't see that this gentleman that is driving you deserves to get a miniature allowance on the side. You just gift him. Many of us, they come back, drop us at home, and you tell the man good night. And the man, out of the supposed salary you pay him, is going to use his legacy bands to walk kilometers on ending just to be able to cut down on the cost of transportation. You will get home weak, tired. You wake up the next day and he comes to you tired. Then someday your driver sleeps on the steering and God helps you that you don't die. You don't know that you is a self-inflicted problem. Why? Because of your lack of empathy. But in your eyes, you think of yourself as tremendously empathic. But what you don't know, by the time you go through a personal 360-degree feedback, your people will start telling you that you're oblivious or very oblivious to their concerns. You don't know, okay? What we are going through, you don't know. You'll wake up from your high horse and you'll come down. One thing I'll tell you, don't become defensive about what you hear and don't refuse to listen. See, if I tell you that time and time over, my domestic staff, if you come and see us, 
by happenstance. I could be having a haircut in the BQ and two, three of them are passing. I'll tell all of them to come. That is when we have a meeting. My Baba, Casey, has been with me for close to 15 years. The guy that cuts my hair. He'll be there. He's part of the family. He's a married man now and he has a kid. Now, I'll now start asking questions and I'll tell them, so tell me, what, uh, what and what am I supposed to be doing differently? Yesterday, when I went to Soso Place, how did I perform? And each of them will give me their perspective. Do you know that sometimes when I go for speaking engagements, I take some of my domestic staff with me. I ask them to come and hear me and also to learn because where I'm going is also a place they should be aiming for. But you say, ah, that man, no, he's my driver. No, he's my security. What makes you think you'll be a security for life? He's going through his own transition. You see, leadership passages are not just about us. Other people are going through it. So the more you are better off, you are better in your craft and what you do is the more you assist other people in their own transition to the next stage of their lives. But more importantly, the root, the fruit, and indeed the tap root will be you because you are the one to initiate it. So remember I said, this is one way to effectively deal with the struggle you are going through, the reality of the struggle you are going through as a leader is when you can reflect and talk about the feedback you receive, but you must come down from your high horse. Feedback is not a judgment of your capability, friends. It is a summary of the perceptions of others, and it's coming as a result of your situational leadership, the way you have behaved at various times and in various situations. What I want to ask you to do, I beg you by the mercies of God, force yourself to reflect on what you have been told and talk about it with someone you trust. Your boss, your coach, or your mentor, they will tell you. Like I always tell people, a person will like you could tell you, say, I'm out this man. But if you think you are I am mighty. They will leave you. You will meet yours. It will be waiting for you in front. It's a matter of time. Yo, you, you, are, you think you are Goliath. Don't worry. One day you'll find David. So that is the first tip I'm giving to you as you go through what I call the reality of that struggle. The second one is huh, you need to take heed to your instincts. You know, um, this may sound very biblical in nature. When you hear the words heed, take heed to yourself. Take heed to your instincts. It's huge. You may, you know, a lot of people hear, but they don't heed. When you hear and you act on what you hear, then you have gone through the process of eating. It may seem like this is some old school advice, but I must tell you something, that a great deal of business leadership is instincts. Business leadership is instincts. When you get to a certain space, it is a spiritual journey that many of us don't understand because it comes from the gods. It comes from inside. A fact that you may not learn in business school. This is what I'm telling you. You may not learn in business school, but this is your business school on radio. But I'm coming from a practical standpoint to say to you that you need to take heed of your instincts. Very many great leaders follow their gods when the data don't give them a clear choice. You know, sometimes you just see certain things come through. And then there is some inner rain in the inside of you that tells you that's the way we should go. The data may not give you a clear choice. You know, sometimes in the course of leadership, in the course of leading, they'll present you with data and the data has no answers. It's just telling you everything. You have to make the call. There are sometimes that the data just presents the options and you say, let's go that way. Very easy, easy peasy. But 
when these moments come, great leaders follow their gods. And what do they do? They follow their gods when the data don't give them a clear choice. And very many first-time leaders are overly reliant on analysis. Ah, you want to prove that you are right. You want to use the data to prove. According to this data and survey we did, in this first leadership job, you will struggle. You know what you will struggle with? The dilemma of what you sense is true versus the expectations of your culture. Whether you like it or not, the conflict is there. It's a dilemma that every leader goes through. It's a dilemma of what you, inside of you, you sense that this thing is true. But then when you look at the culture, the environment, ah, how do I match this one versus what the people are telling me? I have practical experiences. They've happened to me many times, but one, they've happened to me. I remember a time when I was at a confectionery company that I was commercial director. If you want to know, it was Cadbury, Nigeria. There were very serious decisions that needed to be made. And I knew that this decision was going to help us as a company. Everybody felt, well, this man is walking a tightrope. But you know what? I went with it. What was it? That year, I called the agency that managed our advertising and communication, our marketing communications. I briefed in a job and I said to them, guys, I observed that the Ramadan season, folks do not do anything because of the sensitivity. I said, I want you to create a communication because when they break their fast, I have this product that will give them nourishment. That is the only sense of what we are selling. It's a branded sense. And the agency toiled day and night, month one, month two. I went to the MD. I said, Ogami, Ross, you guys are not delivering what I want. I've not seen the material. I said, I'm going to go out. I stepped out and guess what? I called a gentleman. Today, he runs one of the top three advertising agencies. I'll mention his first name. His first name is Larry but I will not call the name of his company. I called Larry. I said, Larry, come. This is the brief I have. And he came back. One week after, I was ready to launch that campaign across board with, with Bonvita. And that was the first time you now found a brand associating with the Ramadan. Today, you see everybody jumping everywhere, but it was never so. I'm telling you, there's always that first. But... It was a dilemma. It was a struggle with me sensing that this is the right way to go as commercial director to break this jinx versus the expectations of the culture. The culture was, no, brands don't go there. The sensitivity, I said, what? Are they not the ones to break their fast? And what happened? From there, we now had legs. I called my field guys, called all the RSMs and called the CBMs, as I called them then, my managers in the field. And I said, we are starting a Meshai campaign. And guess what? It was tied to the Ramadan campaign that they will wake up and they'll mix and blend a good glass of for you as you're having, you're breaking your fast. And then we started Ramadan Karim. And then we ran a television commercial in English, in Hausa, and in Yoruba. Those three languages. And we were everywhere. Friends, what was the result? Guess what? We outsold the factory. This, I'm telling you, is a classic. And someday when I have the privilege of putting down some of my memoirs, which will be drawn from this program, these are practical things I'm telling you that you must take heed and heed your instincts as a leader. Stop allowing the struggle hold you bound. Like I always say, something must kill somebody. If you are persuaded that this is the way to go as a leader, go. You know what? There are always chances, as my boss and mentor would teach me, there are choices and there are consequences. I took that, I saw that chance, I made that choice, and the consequence was that that particular agency today is one of the top agencies in advertising in this country. And the man, he and I would always remember and look back and say, yes, it happened, we made it happen, and we showed the world. So competitors were now riding on that bandwagon. And everybody would see Ramadan as an opportunity 
to be able to communicate. But why didn't they try it first? It's not every leader that is bold enough to heed their instincts. Friends, we'll be back on the second half and we'll continue on this journey. I hope you'll stay on. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, my dear friends. It's Navigate with ID, your business school on radio. Friends, we've had a great first half. And um, what exactly are we talking about? We're looking at the reality of the struggle. What is this struggle? It's the struggle with the first leadership position. Most people struggle. If not, I mean, I could simply say eight out of ten. I've been there also. I've done that. So, in fact, if you make a seamless transition from being an individual contributor to a manager, if you don't have any bad days, doubts, or fears, about your leadership capacity and capability, then you are probably in denial. Or your organization prides itself in having this whole cocoon of self-confidence so much that you find it difficult to acknowledge the challenge of this transition. And to this extent, I did say that most new leaders experience some difficult moments in their first year or so in a new position. And so to deal with it effectively, I have preferred some practical tips which are put on the table. The first one I talked about was the fact that you need to have a personal 360-degree feedback, reflect and talk about the feedback you receive. But this feedback is not one you wait to receive. You must initiate it. You must engage by questioning. How was it? How am I doing? There is nothing wrong with you being vulnerable as a leader. It makes you stronger. It doesn't make you weaker. On the contrary, many people tend to stay off. And that in itself becomes the cuckoo in the kukuru. You know, they don't know that being vulnerable is actually a strength. The second piece that we had that took us into the first half was hidden your instincts. And here I said, friends, that great leaders follow their gods when the data don't give them a clear choice. And many first-time leaders are typically overly reliant on analysis. They want to impress and say, use the data to support why they are making a decision. Especially in your first leadership job, you will struggle with the dilemma of what you sense is true versus the expectations of the culture, either of the company, the environment, and all. And I give an example of how I was faced with such when I was commercial director at Cadbury, Nigeria, once upon a time. It was years ago. However, moving on within this hidden your instincts, I want you to understand that when you feel the right thing to do is to outsource a task, but the decision could result in people being laid off or something happening, or perhaps your company emphasizes keeping certain tasks in-house in order to exert control over processes. That happens. That in itself is a dilemma. And much of leadership is managing dilemmas. I don't know if you have been told. When people tell themselves that they are leaders, what you've just been given is a title of Dilemma manager, because leadership is about managing dilemmas. It's always about right versus right choices, rather than solving problems. Dealing with dilemmas becomes easier with experience. So that's, there isn't any hard and fast rule, but you will deal with these dilemmas with time when you become, you know, an experiential manager. You are in it. That's why years of experience matter. Now, early in a leadership career, though, you must remind yourself to try satisfy expectations without doing so at the expense of what you believe. Never, never cast away your beliefs and what you are strong. Your values are your values. For me, I do not compromise my values, regardless of whose ox is God. I don't. People fail during this passage, this transition. Why? Because they ignore their instincts 
and they try to please others. Don't be a man pleaser. When you ignore the values, these are ancient traditions that have been handed down to you by your parents, by reason of who you are, by the family values, by the DNA, by the culture of the environment. Do not, for any reason, create that to satisfy expectations at the expense of what you believe or your values. Never, ever do that because you will fail in that transition when you want to please others at your expense. Very many people try to meet their bosses' expectations or conform to organizational norms and never form their own point of view. As a matter of fact, a key challenge of this particular space or transition is to both support your boss and differentiate yourself from your boss, sometimes at the same time. Those who try to satisfy their boss as repayment for their promotion to leadership may temporarily succeed because they meet expectations. But guess what? Ultimately, they will fail as leaders because they never and will never develop their own take on things. They are living an artificial life. So what do we call them? We call them bootlickers. We call them yes men. Oh, okay, yes, sir. That's it, sir. Yes, sir. sir. Toto, sir. This one, sir. That's sir. They'll keep sign, sign, and you think if they are a kite. They are not kites, but they are being manipulated. You know, when you have to swing that kite, you are just giving it that tug. Tug upon tug, tug upon tug. The kite keeps taking flight. Then one day, the kite gets to a certain height, and it disappears. That's what happens to you when you are a man pleaser. Without a personal perspective, leaders can create originality. You must be able to have a compelling vision because without that, you'll be as fickle as anything. Friends, the second tip I've just given you, you need to fold it and hold it very well. Remember, heed your instincts. The third tip I'll put on the table that will assist you in very trying times especially during the reality of that struggle, is what I call making time to focus on people. Focus on what matters, people. This is very, very dear to my heart. You know, a lot of leaders don't know that the challenge of task versus people is a real one. It's part of the dilemma of leadership. Sometimes we think that giving a bit more time to people is a waste of your time because you are the boss. It's like having the king and I. You are not meant to be interacting with them at that level. You shouldn't be talking to them. Give them the instructions. Yes, because you are the boss. Okay. The reflex is usually to focus on tasks. You want to deliver great results to prove to everyone that you deserve this promotion, that you were not just made director or you were not just appointed into this. It's a promotion because they've seen that you have some sterling qualities. You must fight this reflex if you're going to succeed. Fight this reflex. Be rigid with your schedule and priorities, making sure you create time for the dialogue and conversation that results in people development. Make time to focus on people. Friends, in 2007, September, when I resumed at Cadbury, Nigeria, as commercial director, Cadbury was in a very, very bad state. And here I was, saddled with the responsibility of men, materials, resources, and to bring about change to a very alien company. So I was responsible for marketing, sales, and operations. What an arduous task it was. And I had 140-plus men and women spread around the country. My first 90 days, I went around the entire country. I spent, at the minimum, 90 minutes with every member of my team under the commercial function. 
Apart from them, I also spend time with the other affiliates and colleagues in other functions, manufacturing, corporate affairs, all, supply chain and all. I still remember all the generals, Bobo Giri, Ayo Fat, Fat, Fatuba, Fatuba, yes, and um, uh, the guy in charge of candy. All of these guys, every single member of my team, I sent a note across to them. That note was for them to prepare ahead, and I sat down with, from the least guy to the immediate team that is my direct reports. I spent minimum, I kid you not, 90 minutes. In some aspects of that conversation, and in all aspects, I always started by saying, you have been in this company longer than I am. No, they all, I tell them, you're my boss. Many that know me very well, you see that I typically will introduce my colleagues as my bosses. Because truly, they are the ones that are supporting you to be the one that is seen. And so I do not take that lightly. It has been a factor in my life and has made perpetually, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the key. The key is because I have been exceptionally intentional about focusing on people. People drive results. People make results happen. So as a leader, if you don't come down from your high horse to settle in the face of things, you will fail. And here, this was my first, first time as commercial director in a company that was going down. What other way would I get answers if I don't interact with the people? So I went round. It took me almost 90 days. But in every instance, I'll say to them, guys, you've been in this company longer than I have. If you were in my shoes and roles were reversed, what would you do? What would you do differently to take this company away from the doldrums? We are just like the Titanic. We are about to sink. It's just the mast that is left. The ship is down. So what would you do? I dropped my entire guard and horses as the number one boss of the function. And I listened to the least person, to the next person, to the big, small, reliable. Everyone came to the party. I was taking notes. I traveled around the entire country. I saw all of them. When I finished, I came back. In the course of it, it became clear to me what I needed to do. One thing I told them was, friends, guys, we are all going to become the function of this company. This company is going to get back. Now, I'm telling you something that started in month one. By month 30, Cadbury was out of the woods. It wasn't about me. It was about the people. And today, I publicly and always will salute the men and women that were with me from 2007 to 2010 in the commercial function primarily and also the adjunct functions, whether HR, whether manufacturing, whether quality, whether supply chain, logistics, distribution, they all made it happen. And that company is standing today because they rose to the occasion. And I also give myself a pat on the back because I reached out to them. That's what I'm telling you to do. Make time to focus on people. The answers are in them. There are treasures in earthen vessels, but many of you struggle in your first leadership because you think it's about position. You think, you think it's about the rank. Oh, they've given you a new rank and so you can ride on everybody. You will fail. You will fall like my son used to say when he was small, Yakata. Have you heard of the rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? That is how you fall. It will be a great fall because you don't focus on people. If you, can't, if you have not repented, I'm telling you, this is a tip I'm giving you, free of charge. No business school will put it this way for you. You can't learn this one in Harvard. You have to come to the School of Corporate Shepherds where we do it in Niger because Havanomics may not work in Nigeria. Go and tell most of our diasporans that come. Yes, I mean, there are principles that work here. It works after the infrastructure has been laid. When you don't have any structure and you want to bring the infra, intra will kill it. And that's what Nigerians call corruption, but it's infrastructure that kills whatever we want to do. All those bright ideas outside will not work here, simply because the structure, infrastructure, 
will be taken down by infrastructure. Story for another day. But we are talking about making time to focus on people. Sometimes this expenditure of time may seem less efficient. But honestly, friends, I want to tell you, if you are transiting as a leader, you are moving from one state to the other, it is an essential element of leadership and supervision. Don't lose it. Whatever it takes, hold it firmly. Make the time to focus on people. Don't look down on anybody. The answers you may be looking for may be inside that man that is a nobody, that doesn't talk. But you can reach him by just being empathic. You can reach her by just asking a question, how is your family? You know, I don't understand how certain bosses work. You have a team. You have no idea what your... You don't even ask them, how are your children? You know, the shocking part is that most of us have our own children, but our colleagues will ask you, oh, how is so-so-and-so? How is your son? How is your daughter? But we never ask them about theirs because you are the leader, you are the boss. Again, I'll ask in English or pigeon, who born dog? That's what my grandmother used to tell me those days when I hear talking with her friends or my grandfather, I beg your pardon. You must commit yourself to signing up for training. Go and work with a coach. If you don't have one, come. I will coach you. But like I can always tell you, it's not free. This one I'm giving you freely. I received freely. I'm giving. That one, I will charge you. But it's not really about sitting about the charge, but you need to go through the experience and learn how to bring out the best of you. you or you're just being conscious of people's needs and concerns. Just devote time to people-related learning. It's huge. So let me give you the fourth tip now. The fourth tip is about you. You. Understanding the network of influence and politics. You know, in a way, I always call this the power, understanding the power lines. Hey, many people have burnt themselves because they don't understand the interface between authority and influence. You must grasp the network of influence and politics. Very new managers take to this right away, but others resist it. The independent individual contributor may have always disdained what he feels is subservience to others and believes people should be judged based on their work alone. This idealistic perspective is final in a very ideal world. But friends, in the organizational world, it reflects society. And we haven't found many utopias. There are no utopias. There are some people that are living in the ideal world. No, no, no. I don't play politics. I don't say, no, 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 I'm not. Ah, utopia in the air. In the ideal world. Mm. But in the real world that we live, within the organizational world, it reflects the society. Check the society, you'll see the organization play out. Networking is very essential for leadership. You must understand the power lines. You must understand where it comes from. You must understand how things get done in your organization. You must understand what to sacrifice or trade off. What trade-offs are made and who has the influence. Understand the authority and influence. Those are strong power lines. If you don't understand, you'll be burnt. Build your own network. You know, I've taught this many times over. That interface between authority and influence has four different characters in play. There are those that have low authority, low influence. I call them the lali. There are some that have the high authority and low influence. I call them the hali. There are some that have low authority, high influence. I call them the lahi. And there are the big kahunas themselves, high authority, high influence. Those are the hahis. Build your own network so that you can gain support for your initiatives. This is not about being a game player. It's not about being psychophantic or manipulating people. Instead, 
It is about learning the network and how it functions and plugging yourself into it. See, when you are in corporate, if you want to grasp the network of influence and politics, just go and watch a suffer. Do you see the way the suffer goes and rides on the waves? You can be a suffer in the organization. Just ride on the waves. When you see the waves coming, yes, some people will tell you, oh boy, no go, no go. Whilst they can't, you see the suffer going towards the waves and paddles, 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 and next minute, boom, is on top of the waves. And then rides the waves and then goes all the way and is having fun. You can be that person in your office. You know, this thing, eh? it looks so easy. But it can be difficult because of where your head is. If you don't have the right mindset, you would struggle. The fifth point I'm going to give you as a tip, and hold this, don't abuse your power. Because this is your first time leadership and everybody has said to you, oh, you are the boss. Don't abuse your power. This may not be a problem for you, but in the name of speed or efficiency or directness, some people who are promoted into managerial jobs suddenly become the worst type of bosses, pirates. You know, there's this thing that gets into people's heads. It's the power associated with advancement. It reinforces what they already have inside them, arrogant tendencies. And they become directing, controlling, and they are always right. They make unnecessary demands. They antagonize support staff and generally engage in negative behavior. Sometimes they can be abusive, very abusive. Well, it then depends on the nature of the organization. Many organizations don't allow such, but not every organization is that, you know, well-formed with codes. I mean, one-man business is the owner will just wake up and start abusing everybody, minus me. You try them, I will give them back to you, full measure, press down, shaking together, and I'll walk away. Who made you a judge and a, a, a whatever over me? That's why a lot of people go hang themselves. Every day you are listening to a boss that abuses you, just abusive boss who continually cursing you and doing all. And you are sitting there and saying, because of the children, because of my family, you're already a dead man. I will walk away. Nothing will happen. Don't succumb to abuse. And you, that Mr. Boss, to avoid abusing your power, keep the learning metrics in mind. If you don't know, let me tell you, when you believe you have nothing to learn, you are being arrogant and vulnerable to these types of power abuse. But when you have something to learn, you will not, of necessity, abuse your workers your colleagues, simply because they are under your radar does not mean or does not give you the right to speak to them anyhow. Don't abuse your power. If you approach the job believing you have a lot to learn, you will be much less likely to apply your positional power crudely. Because you know that you will see yourself as all partners. You are all in the same boat. You are co-workers. But that goal means that we are working together to achieve a goal. You know, one of the things I've found is that first-time leaders learn to use their power appropriately by studying how other leaders they respect use their authority. So you can have a role model. Role model leaders help because these other guys that are coming in first time tend to mirror and they are watching. They see how these leaders navigate around roadblocks without being bullies and how they build coalitions rather than engage in melodramatic behavior. It is also useful to study leaders who abuse their power to understand what not to do. And finally, while I rest this so that we'll take this as a last slot, do the right thing. Please do the right thing. But... Don't be convinced you always know what the right thing is. This may sound like a paradox, but the point is to have an open mind about what the right course of action is in any given situation. Some new leaders are so zealous about following their beliefs that is the opposite of the politicians and those who focus only on results, that they offend everyone with their self-righteousness. 
it is great to do what you feel is right, but leaders need to recognize there are shades of gray when it comes to right and wrong. You know, very many times when I look at leaders, I just ask, can you do what is right? Just do the right thing. You then realize that over time, what you call the right thing by one group of stakeholders might be exactly the wrong thing for another group. In Nigeria, if you are working in corporate and you tend to focus and do the right thing, to another group, they will tell you that you are being stubborn. You don't want to play along. Or you think you are Mr. Right or Mr. Do Good. If they are conniving to steal, and you say, minus me, they will tell you you are the one. This other group will say you are doing the wrong thing because it's normal. You are leaving the office and you carry the pencil, you carry the print, the paper to go home, to print at home and do your personal work. You say, I should be in this office work, this office material now. It's in my office now and I can take it. To you, that is the right thing. But in real sense, you are doing the wrong thing. So sometimes it can be much of a paradox, friends. But I hope that I can use this opportunity to invite you to the second edition of our Ask ID series, which will come up this Saturday on the 28th of October at 9 p.m. We'll go on Instagram Live, and my handle is at I-D-Y-E-N-A-N-G. We'll be talking about how to navigate this whole world of career and keeping that balance with the family. It's part two. We started that last, last month. We'll close it hopefully this month. These are the things, the real issues we'll be talking about. And I hope you'll join us then and be good to yourself. Friends, I can't stop loving you guys. We'll be out now, back again on Thursday by God's grace. Stay good, stay cool, and don't abuse your power. God bless you. And that was Navigate with ID.